0: You know, I got up earlier this morning and I keep thinking I'm forgetting something. Yeah, maybe I'm not. If I am, remind me of it. Uh, our lesson today is taken from the 21st chapter of the Gospel according to John. Let me remind you that the Gospel of John is now coming to a close. This tremendous apostle has recorded for us to read and to understand the great message which the Lord Jesus Christ brought into this world by both deed and word. In each of the seven great signs that he shows forth in his record of the gospel, he has words of interpretation about them. He has concluded in chapter 20 and has said right at the close of that chapter, there were indeed many other signs that Jesus performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. These here written have been recorded that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this faith you may possess eternal life by his name. Now it seems that he is at the end of his record of the gospel, but sometimes we leave out something that is considered important. Very often I have to reopen a letter and add a postscript to it because I left something out of the letter that was important that seems to have occurred here and so John appends a postscript which is chapter 21 let me read the first 11 verses here sometime later Jesus showed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and in this way Simon Peter and Thomas the twin together with Nathanael of Cana in Galilee The sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were also there. Simon Peter said, I'm going out fishing. We will go with you, said the others. So they started and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Morning came and there stood Jesus on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you caught anything? They answered, no. He said, shoot the net to the starboard and you will make a catch. They did so and found that they could not haul the net aboard. There were so many fish in it. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that, he wrapped his coat about him for he had stripped and he plunged into the sea. The rest of them came on in the boat towing the net full of fish for they were not far from the land only about a hundred yards. When they came ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish laid on it and some bread. Jesus said, bring of your catch. Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to land full of big fish, 153 of them. And yet many as they were, the net was not torn. Jesus said, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. Jesus now came, took the bread, gave it to them, and the fish in the same way. This makes the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection from the dead. Amen. May God bless you. Just about this time of the year, I always have certain symptoms that start coming out. It is an illness that is well known to the wives of fishermen. Suddenly we begin to start feeling it coming on as soon as the buds start out on the trees and it begins to get warm enough to get out on the lake and we wanna go fishing. It's hard for me to work in the yard sometimes. It's hard for me to go about some of my responsibilities but I'm very seldom sick when I'm invited to go fishing. I love to fish. I enjoy it immensely. And I can understand about Peter. He was a fisherman. he had grown up on this Sea of Galilee. Ever since he was a boy, he had been familiar with the boats and the tackle and the nets that were there. After the resurrection of our Lord from the dead, and John is very careful to point out that this resurrection is real, and he wants us to understand that this is no mystical, spiritual appearance in the sense that some modern writers have written. In fact, one of my favorite poems that has to do with this resurrected Christ is that poem by Updike, which tells us very plainly, make no mistake about it, if he arose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules reknit, and the animal acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the eleven apostles. It was as his flesh, ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart, that pierced, died, withered, decayed, then regathered out of his father's might new strength to enclose. Let us not, not mock God with metaphor and analogy sidestepping transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of the earlier ages. Let's walk through the door. The stone is rolled back, non papier-mâché, not a stone in a story, but the vast stone of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. That's a strong assertion of the resurrection of Jesus bodily from the dead. Well John now tells us that this third appearance of Jesus to his disciples occurred when Peter had said to the others that he was going fishing. Now I've had people who have pointed out that maybe Peter was disobedient to the Lord. The only sign that I can see about that is that he didn't catch any fish. And whenever I've skipped doing some work that I ought to do and didn't catch any fish, I had the feeling that maybe I was disobedient to the Lord so I can identify with that feeling. But there's another way of looking at it. Peter had to make a living and even after the resurrection of Jesus and the Easter festival is celebrated, all of us have to go back to our schools or our dormitories or to our offices and work. And so I'm sure that Peter wished to use this time And so, in his restless impetuosity, he said to the others that he was going fishing, and so they came with him. I wish there was time to deal with each of those uh, who accompanied him on this fishing expedition that morning. We read that Thomas, one of the most obstinate and hard-headed of Jesus' disciples, a despairing, skeptical man, uh, who was full of despondency, and yet to whom Christ had revealed himself in such a remarkable way that he elicited from Thomas the tremendous assertion, my Lord and my God, and Thomas had changed. Well, Thomas was with them. There is Nathaniel, and here John puts in a little note, the Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee. That's that man of whom Jesus said, in him there is no guile. This Nathanael... This honest Jew, uh, this remarkable person, is there with them. The two sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples, that is, James and John and two other of his disciples, were there. Maybe it was Andrew and Philip. Well, they went with Peter that morning. That night, they did not catch anything. They would fished hard all night long, slinging the nets out from the boat and drawing the nets in and pulling them back, but with no success. And then about a hundred yards distance, in the very early light of the dawn, they saw a stranger on the pebble strown beach. This stranger called out to them. And the King James Version gets a little bit ridiculous here. It says, children, have ye any meat? Well, that's not very up-to-date. What he says is, have you caught anything, boys? (laughs) Now, when a man's fished all night long... And you call out to him, have you caught anything, boys? You're liable to get a very curt reply. And so they called back, no, they hadn't caught anything. If you ever see, I have a fishing friend who says that I always become silent and only become silent when I haven't caught anything. He says that when he has five fish and I have one that I go into a depression. (laughs) in that I don't say anything, in that I'm antisocial. Well, these fishermen were hungry, they were tired, they'd fished all night, they had not caught anything. And this stranger whom they cannot recognize calls out to them and he says to them, "Uh, boys or young men or lads, have you caught anything? And uh, the reply comes back to the stranger on the shore, no, no, we haven't caught anything. Then the stranger says, cast the net on the starboard, on the right side. Throw it on the right side, and you'll catch some fish. Well, first of all, these disciples obey. They obeyed this stranger from this lake shore and Galilee, and they cast their nets on the starboard. And then, when they start to haul it in, all of a sudden the line grows very taut, and they realize that they have enclosed a large shoal of fish. And it takes all their hustle and all of their strength in order to pull that big, dragging, bulging net full of fish toward that boat. Well, all of this is too uncannily like an event that had occurred three years before on that same Lake of Galilee. And John, who is quick mentally, asserts just at that instant, it is the Lord, and when he says that the man of thought it is the lord Peter who is the man of action and impulse girds his fisher's coat about him he puts his cloak his outer garment around him and cast himself into the sea and headed for shore he wanted to go where Jesus was much of our failure comes about when we are simply disobedient to the lord We will not listen for his voice and do not do his bidding, and we wonder why we fail. This is especially true in the church and in Christian work. Why do we seek to do the Lord's business and the world's way of doing things? We need desperately to listen for his voice and to be obedient to it. The call of Jesus Christ has always been the same. Obey me. Be obedient to me. God's voice in the Old Testament to the children of Israel was always obey me. Obey me or you'll tramp around in the wilderness and you'll wander from place to place and you will not know what you're going doing and you'll get into more and more trouble. So this is a call to obedience. And that call to obedience when obeyed, we see success immediately ensue. We know what the commands of the Lord are. I said last Sunday about the resurrection of Jesus, it's hard to believe because it's hard to obey. If you know that Jesus is there at your elbow, it will curb many a lustful deed or thought. It will curb many an impatient, intemperate word. It will curb many a a cheating thing that we might attempt to do, to know that the risen Lord is there. What if Jesus came walking down the aisles of this church and looked into our eyes Sunday after Sunday? What a difference it would make. Well, remember, Jesus has risen from the dead. And though we do not see him with our physical eyes, he is here. He is here this morning. And we need to be obedient to him. We are called to be different from the world in which we live. We are called to represent another world Another kingdom, another leader, even the Lord Christ. Now then, Peter had started for shore. Impulsive, he jumped into the lake and started wading and swimming, making his way as best he could to come to the shore. Of course, Peter would do this because of that impulsiveness. Maybe he remembered that John was the one who ran on that first Easter Sunday and looked into the tomb and saw that the tomb was empty. Maybe Peter thought John beat me before, but he won't beat me this time. (laughs) And he started for shore. He got there. And here we see occur Jesus' restoration of the burly fisherman who had denied him on that night in the courtyard of the high priest when he had said three times with oaths and curses that he did not know him. And Jesus asked him three times, Peter, who had boasted of his great love for the Lord Jesus. Peter, who had said, though everyone else betrays you, I will never betray you. He had asserted that he loved Jesus more than anyone else of all of the disciples loved Jesus. Always be careful about that. Always be careful in saying, I love Jesus more than anyone else in this church loves Jesus. Peter meant it. But he talked beyond his experience and the Lord brought him up short. And so when Jesus first had fed these disciples that morning, like Elijah in the Old Testament, you remember when Elijah had had a very despairing experience and had run from Jezebel and how in the fit of depression he had called out to God that he should take away his life, that he was the only true prophet left. And how a very human, tender-minded angel came to Elijah and told him to go to sleep, to rest a while. Then when he waked, there was a cruise of water and bread, and Elijah was fed. And after he was fed, then God spoke to him through the earthquake and the wind and the fire. Well, after these weary, uh, despairing disciples from that night have been fed, Jesus Then singles out Peter, who had thrice denied him, and he said to him, in the old words that he had used back in the very beginning when he had first seen him by the Sea of Galilee, he called him Simon, son of John. That was what he first said to him when he changed his name to Rock. Well, Peter had not lived up to the name of Rock, but rather he had been like shifting sand. He had been like a reed blowing in the wind. So Jesus uses that old name and he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you really love me more than these other disciples here love me? And Peter, this time speaks very accurately and very honestly and not beyond his experience. He says, yes, Lord, I do love you. He loved him. But he does not now boast as he had before. Then Jesus says to him feed feed my sheep he said to him a second time simon son of john do you love me more than these others love me here and he said yes lord you know that i love you and jesus says to him feed my lambs he said to him the third time and this hurt peter's feelings simon son of john do you really love me more than these Love me. And Peter, we are told, was grieved. He was hurt because Jesus had said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know everything there is to know. You know all my heart through and through. You know. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my heart sheep tend my sheep the greatest of all of the warrants for serving christ is that of love to him first there is obedience and then there must be love in christian service this past week our communicants class met we were discussing how you worthily partake of the lord's supper in our catechism our friend from Scotland will have known and loved, as many of you perhaps know and love, the book by uh, Ian McLaren Beside the Bonnie Briar Bush, And in it there is the famous story of Lachlan Campbell, a strict Highland elder. And Lachlan Campbell, who had been very severe on other people, and then whose heart had been crushed and who had been restored by the mercy of God, and had softened because of a tragedy that occurred in his own family to humble him. And Lachlan Campbell is present one evening with the men of the Kirk, the elders of the session. And there is little Mary McFarlane, seeking to get her communion, token, so that she can come and take the Lord's Supper. And when they ask her the questions from the catechism, she becomes all confused. And she can't say the answer in the correct manner. So much so that Barnbury, who is the most tender-hearted of all the elders in the session trying to give her little hints here and there about the question from the catechism, and she can't say it right. And she bursts into tears, sobbing, and starts to go out of the church session room. And Lachlan Campbell, who has been restored because of the love of Christ, says to this group of elders, and to the moderator of the session, he says, Mr. Moderator, I move that Mary McFarland be given her token." And do you know why? Mary McFarlane, who couldn't say the words of the catechism, said that she was, she was heartbroken that she couldn't say it, but she said, I love Jesus, and I want to take his supper because it's the last thing that he ever asked his friends to do. And old Lachlan Campbell said to the elders, I move that Mary McFarlane be given her token and that she come to the Lord's table. For she loves Jesus. And said Lachlan Campbell, the best warrant, the best reason in all of the world for taking the Holy Supper is to love Jesus Christ. The best reason in all of the world for serving Jesus is to love him. He wants no people badgered into service for him. Nothing is more horrible than to see some grumbling, complaining person bickering and griping About some service that they render in the church. Horrible. Horrible. If you have to have that service, then don't do it. God does not want it. He does not want your grudging service. Who of us likes to be served in an ill-tempered, grudging manner? If you love Jesus, then serve him. If you don't, then don't. Just don't. Do you really love him? If you do, you can serve him in the right way. He is given here this service. Feed my lambs. Take care of the little ones. Take care of the people who might fall like you did, Peter. Take care of those who might fall away. Tin my sheep. He is going to bring him from being a fisherman to a shepherd. I am called the pastor of a church. I have pastoral responsibilities. As a pastor, one who oversees a flock, later on when the first epistle, the first letter of Peter will be written to some early Christians, he brings that remarkable letter to a close without great stirring words, when the chief shepherd shall appear. One day you won't have an earthly pastor One day the chief shepherd himself shall come back again. And when the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus, returns to this earth, you, said Peter, will receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So he said to those earliest Christians who were going through fire and persecution and turmoil and disappointment and heartbreak, hold your heads up. One day the chief shepherd shall come back. And when he does, you will receive a crown of glory that shall not fade away. That's the crown that we ought to be seeking after, not the earthly laurels which fade so quickly, but the crown of glory that fades not away. And then he said to Peter after this, One day, Peter, one day, You are going to have your hands bound together and tied. He said, when you were a young man, Peter, you put your belt about you and you went where you wanted to. But when you're old, Peter, someone is going to bind your hands. And they will put a belt about you. And they will take you where you do not want to go. This, says John, was telling a prophecy of Peter's death. That his hands would be bound and that he would be taken out and he would be crucified. That he would die a martyr's death. And so Peter did. And Jesus had said to him, you will follow me. That's what discipleship really is. It's following Jesus Christ. And that's what Easter is all about. That's what this Easter season is all about. It is following The risen Christ, being loyal and faithful and true to him. Be obedient to him, to love him, and then in service to do his work, to carry out the obligations he has given us in true discipline, in true discipleship. Now Peter interjects in his old impulsive nature, as all of us still have that old nature. He says, what about John? What about John? This is so like Peter. And Jesus said, never mind about John. If it is my will that John should live till I come back to earth again in the second coming, Peter. Don't you worry about that. You just follow me. You carry out your responsibility to me. So John had to write this whole chapter here, not only recalling this last resurrection, not the last resurrection appearance, but this third resurrection appearance in order to show that a mistake had crept into the early church and there were some saying that John, the beloved apostle, would not die but would live on until Jesus came back to earth a second time. And John corrects this by saying that's not what uh, Jesus meant. What he meant was, you tend to what you are supposed to do, Peter, and if it is my will that he should live on, what is that to thee? You obey me. You do what I have told you to do. That's discipleship. You know, I've often, I incorporate some kind of invitation and try to in every service. Not always that people should come down the aisle because that can become uh, mechanical. Not always that they raise their hands. But always there should be some invitation. There's always one printed and there's always an invitation in the service. To follow Jesus Christ. But as I grow older. I think more and more. That the invitation that people who really trust in Jesus. Ought to concern themselves with. Is not only walking down an aisle to confess faith in him. But going down an aisle and out the door. To live for him. Day by day. in loyal obedient service to him. What a difference it will make. If when you walk out the door of the church today. You will go out the door of the church and down the steps as your confession of faith in Jesus Christ. To live for him. Wherever you're going to be this afternoon. Wherever you'll be tonight. Wherever you'll be tomorrow. And wherever you go. That you'll be loyal and faithful and true to him. We've all been mixed up by this crazy time change. There's no time. You know God. God has no time. We are creatures of time. I can't ask you. What are you going to do at five o'clock yesterday? I can ask you what you're going to do at five o'clock tomorrow afternoon. But with God there is no time. Peter was told to cast a net. In two time, that he might pull people into eternity. Here are true values, the values that come from the touch of the living God, the values that come from the touch of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the victor over all with whom we walk day by day. Let us live out our lives in obedience, in love, in service, and in discipleship to the risen Christ. Let us stand in prayer. O God, our Heavenly Father, the moments tick away, and yet how we do praise and bless thy holy name, that thou hast called us creatures of time to be creatures of eternity, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, touched by the life of the eternal, and living forever so that we might put things in their proper perspective and not become confused by the dazzle of this world. Now, Lord God, if there are those here this morning who have allowed the razzle dazzle of time to bewilder them into thinking that this earthly fame and fortune and the pleasure that is here is all that there is to life, will you at this instant touch that heart and cause them to seek thee, the eternal Will you, O God, grant that a great transference of values may take place? That they may live as seeing that risen Christ. That they may live, O God, as seeking a city whose builder and maker is God, beyond all of the shambling, tumbling walls of this world, even the eternal city itself. O God, our Father, we seek for each one this day the experience of salvation and the joy of walking in discipleship that is true to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, our Father, and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide, be and abide with you all, both now, and forevermore.